I've been struggling with depression and anxiety for quite a long time. It happened years ago, mostly due to heartbreak and lots of other things going on in my life, but I'll spare the details about what caused it. But it was one of those things where I it started off as just, oh, it's a bad day. I'll, tomorrow will be better. But I just let it control my life. And, you know, one bad day turned into another, and those bad days turned into bad weeks the bad months and eventually into bad years and they got such a hold over me that I was afraid to reach out to friends because not only did it negatively affect me but I was afraid of how it would affect my friends and how they would view me and our friendship and it got so bad to the point where I was losing sleep and having awful stress dreams and waking up in cold sweats and sometimes even waking up in tears, crying already as weird as it sounds. But it got to the point where eventually I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I was waking up wishing I was already dead. I was trying to get to the point where I was thinking suicide. But then one day that just changed. I finally reached out and called for help. I reached out to a local therapist that worked with young adults and was able to make something work out. I went in once a week for several months, and it was terrifying. That phone call was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But at the same time, I really feel like it also helped, helped me out. You know, It kept me from doing anything really bad and harmful to myself. And, that phone call, as scary as it was, it also was just the greatest weight lifted off my shoulder, you know, taking that first step to realize that it's okay to seek out help and to reach out to your friends. We share our stories to feel less alone. And people dare to share their stories with us. Don't talk about it. Shh. I hope nobody finds out. I am so weird. I can't believe I just did that. You're not weird. And you're not bad. You're human. Welcome, Welcome to, to Striptease. So that's a great voicemail. The The one piece that I pick up is, is, well, there's actually a couple. One of them is the stories that we hold on to. Right. And we talk about writing a new narrative and all those pieces in the coaching world. But he really held on to this story of being judged if he did reach out. And he did that for a year, so much so that it started to bury him. It was like quicksand. You know, he made the choice not to reach out because he was afraid of being judged. And he sank a little a little bit more. And then he started having physical reactions to that. And he sank a little bit more and a little bit more until he reached the end, thank God, that he made the choice to reach out to a therapist and, and find somebody. So that, that, that was one piece, absolutely, was holding on to this idea that I am alone in this world dealing with these issues and I really can't reach out to anybody. You, you end up isolating yourself from everybody. The other piece. I've got a piece to add. Go for it. I have a secret. For the past couple of years, I've woken up with night terrors, and I feel like I'm dying. Happened a week ago. I bolt out of bed, and I think this is it. This is the moment of my death. It's freaky. I jump up, I turn the lights on, I go in the living room. Happened in Maine four nights ago. And so the reason I'm telling this 
I'm very open about my life so that other people know that everybody else is going through this. So am I happy talking about <laughs> this now that in my, you know, tidy whities I'm, I'm jumping out of my bed thinking this is the moment of my death. I'm so terrified and running into the living room. No, I'm not happy to say this, but a lot of people go through this. So what he's saying is what everyone is going through, which is this is only me. No one will understand. I will burden them. I don't want to ask for help. Then when you ask for help and people can't be there for you, you feel isolated and alone. Now, for me to talk about my night terrors, the turnaround, of course, obviously, is what's the benefit of it? Well, you know, you burn some calories, I'll tell you at night. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, you can you can clean. Like, I've cleaned the bathroom. I've cleaned the living room in a panic attack. I got to tell you one thing. I got a clean house. Ian, you know, who works with me, has worked out of my house and says, your house is so clean. And I'm like, it's because when I'm anxious, I clean. The, <laughs> You know, we talked in this show, without belaboring this, the failure to thrive thing. I think what happens is I have such a terror that I'm not going to make a mark in the world in the way that I, I want to. And that terror results in my being woken up in a state of fear and feeling like I'm dying. So I understand what this guy is saying. I get it, right? The thing is, picking yourself up and keeping going is the hard thing. It's the resilience. It's the little deaths, right? Mm -hmm. And the different strength that comes after I've gone through a night like that recently— it's a weird residual feeling the next morning. I'm like, I feel so bad and I feel ashamed and I feel like an idiot thinking, here I am helping people and yet I'm still suffering from night terrors. But the the awareness and the attunement and the feeling state is kind of intense. And so it helps me to relate to other people. So what this guy said, millions of people are going through. Oh, absolutely. I remember after 9-11, um, I would start getting panic attacks on the subway into Manhattan. I was a ballroom dancer at the time. And we talked about it before, how my hands would stick to the newspaper and everything. Well, it got to the point where I stopped taking trains, and then I would drive in, and I would have panic attacks then. So I would stop taking the car in. And then I had to move out of the city because I thought that was what was triggering it. At no point did I reach out for help, but what I started doing was taking my freedom away, thinking that that was what was the trigger for all of this. So I ended up being agoraphobic and not being able to leave my room. May I ask a question? Sure. What do you mean take my freedom away? I was taking my own freedom away because I believed that being on the subway was a trigger for me. I believed being in the car was a trigger for me. Then I believed living in the city was a trigger for me. So I couldn't pinpoint where the panic attacks were coming from. And most of the time, that's in my experience, what I would try to figure out was what was that trigger so that I could eliminate the trigger and no longer have panic attacks. Well, we'll talk for a second, if you wouldn't mind, about sure. what, what's a trigger. Well, what do you define as a trigger? Because everybody uses this word, and I don't think we we talked a lot on here already. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Hashtag self-care. You know, what's a new word that has resonance? So what is, what is a trigger to you? So the definition of trigger to me is an experience if I was on the subway and I would start to feel a panic attack, for me, the trigger would be the subway. Doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it was, but that's what I would associate the panic attack with. So for me, that subway ride was the trigger. Once I realized and I took a car and I still had it, then my trigger had to have been working in the city. Now, mind you, this is post 9-11 when I saw, you know, the buildings come down and everything else. So for me, I believe that I was suffering some from some sort of PTSD. So the city itself was a trigger for me to live in. The noise, the congestion, the sounds, 
because I'm already heightened to everything that's happening already that I think if I live out on Long Island where it's a little quieter, I won't have so much noise both in my head and externally so that I can calm down. But that wasn't the case. What I was doing was, and this is what I meant by stripping away my freedom, I was associating my panic attacks with the so-called, and air quotes, triggers that I would cut them out of my life. So going into the city was cut out of my life. Leaving my house was cut out of my life. And then I couldn't leave my bedroom. And I said, okay, something's wrong. That's when I ended up going into my bathroom and saying, I'm going to end it. At no point would I reach out because I was afraid that people would think I was going absolutely crazy, just like this man said. I was, I had the story that nobody else is going through this. I'm alone. I'm isolated. And so, and on top of it, I had a boyfriend at the time that told me that I was nuts because he saw what I was going through. So it just compounded that. So, so let me, let me go in here for a second. Sure. Can, can I, can I, okay. So, so let me go in here for a second. So, um, what do you think is the core reason why we're triggered by things? I, I have a, a concept, an idea that I finally, when I got my head around this, I think it's what all of us are wrestling with. I think it's the deepest human sort of fallacy. It's the thing that freaks us all out. What do you think is at the core of it? Like, why do you think we think we can control conditions and we can't because it's our reaction to conditions. It's not the conditions because people are going to be a hot mess. Trains are going to derail. Planes are going to crash. Terrorism is going to happen. Murder is going to occur. Abuse is going to happen. All this crap, right? It's going to mm-hmm. happen, right? So so what is what is the reason why triggers affect us, do you think? I have a I have an idea. I'm just curious if there's something before I dispel this idea that, that you may have. Answer. For me, it was the lack of control that I felt in my life. And here's the reason why. Because I was not living the life that I wanted to for years prior to that. So I was taking pieces of me away saying, okay, well, I have to look good for this person or I should be doing the right thing or or this is what I'm going to do. So I was giving myself away as opposed to coming into my own. Okay, so talk about that gap for a minute between the life that you perceived you weren't living the life you're living now It's that gap that I'm interested in Mm -hmm. in life. So what is that gap? What is it that you think you were resisting? I was resisting myself. I mean, it was the— my. That's too heady. That's too existential. What do you think you were resisting? For me, that's really what it was. It was—I was unwilling to just be okay with who I was. I was too busy showing up for everybody else and wanting to be liked. Okay. So can I make a big, broad, general statement? Sure, absolutely. So I think it's more about—I think it's like we we don't like uncertainty. We don't like the uncomfortability of uncertainty. We don't enjoy it. And yet that's all you have. Life is inherently uncertain. So if it's uncertain, there's only certain things. If you if you accept the uncomfortability of the uncertainty, something sort of happens. That's kind of like this idea that I said to someone recently, <laughs> she's looking for all these answers, and I'm like, um, life's difficult. She's like, that's not helping me. And I'm like, mm, life's difficult. And then I said, don't you relax a little when you accept that life is difficult and life is uncertain? It's the feelings of uncomfortability, right? When we accept that life is uncertain, that suddenly we don't depend on things to become something else other than what they are. And so we don't react inordinately and become frustrated with things. We just accept things as they are. And that's where our, that's where our power comes. Absolutely. And, and it also quells that future tripping that happens. It's like, okay, event A is going to happen on Monday. And you go through all these different variables on how you can control the outcome of event A, right? So it, that is where my mind would spin out is that lack of control and that feeling of when I don't have any to begin with. Right. And that's what that dude's talking about. So what he's saying is when I feel out of control, uncertain, there is no purpose because in depression, 
really, depression, let's just really get real here for a second. <laughs> depression is really rage, not expressed. So depression is really, someone is, he's really pissed that life isn't the way he wants, it's like this. So if he would just go to a smash room or he'd flip a tire or bust some shit, he'd probably feel a lot better. Do so, you really think that depression is? I, I always a, absolutely, that, absolutely. I and, always believe that anxiety is rage and anger that is unexpressed. And, de- and depression is really regret for the past. Oh God, no! Fuck that! I don't think that. I, I love you. To, I, I like. <laughs> I, I'm you with. I'm you with a penis. Uh-huh. I, 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 yeah, I, I really. I love you, but no. I strongly know depression is rage unexpressed. Anxiety is the preferred emotion to depression. So we feel anxiety because we'd rather feel that than depression. But if we really got underneath depression, it's rage. Because rage is creative, but we deem it as destructive. That's society's construct, right? So that fascinates me because we, we think of it that way. <laughs> Everybody, anybody who's listening to this, right now, Ian and, and Jennifer are just looking at me like I got 10 heads, which is good probably <laughs> because I'm making them go, What? Yes, because I believe that under rage, under anger, is sadness, right? There, there is a— there is Because that's the disempowerment of not allowing yourself to feel what you really feel, which is rage. I would mix them up. In terms of depression, to me, and this is just my view, of course, everybody's view is just whatever their view is, who cares? But depression to me is really looking back at the past and saying, I should have, could have, would have, all that other shit that we say all the time whenever we have a missed opportunity— and that, to me, is really depression. It's it's that deep sadness. It's that deep, deep, deep sadness of looking back and replaying that same event over in your head saying, I wish I would have. Anxiety, to me, is future tripping, where you're trying to control the future, but also you have a rage and an anger around it because you can't. You but know where does that come can. from, though? So when you're talking about future tripping, I love that term. Yeah, I've never, that's awesome. It's like in the Matrix 4. So so future tripping and, and past shit, like where the fuck does that come from? Seriously. What do you mean where does that come from? Well, right. when you say that depression and sadness comes from regret of the past, where does the narrative of that come from? Anywhere. I mean, no, that not could be from, based— See, I don't think from anywhere. But this is, this is what this I've come is to realize. something that's a learned behavior, right? Yeah, yeah so, but learned behavior from where? It could be anywhere. I mean, to pinpoint one person or to whitewash everybody would be very difficult, but for each to each their own, right? So for me, I could go back and say, um, I regret somebody died. I regret not saying goodbye to them. And then they can live inside that depression forever. But why can't we just accept that that somebody died? Why do we have to apply anything to it to say somebody died? Why do we make it more than that? Because there is a want for forgiveness sometimes. Right. So there is a want. Let's say you had a strained relationship with your mother. Your mother dies. And then you say to yourself, you know, I wish we would have had a different relationship. I wish I would have said, I love you. I wish some piece of that relationship would have been different before she passed. Now, here's the piece, though. It doesn't mean that you can't make those amends now. Even though that person is gone, it really has nothing to do with that person. It has to do with you and your outlook on the relationship. And also forgiving yourself for not having that conversation. So there's room for growth, and there's also a lot of room to take a look at. How else am I showing up in my life like this? Where else am I not forgiving myself for this piece? Where else am I not moving forward? And so I think staying in that cycle of the past creates depression. And I have learned myself 
that the cycle of depression is perpetuated by listening to the mind constructs thoughts about the past. Whereas if we instead decide that that shit has fucked me up and I'm a man who's talked a lot about his crazy mother and we understand instead, I think where we're going now, which is consciousness, present moment, where we're going into this present where we are, the mind construct wants to take us to that past, but the past is done. Are we a product of our past? Totally. Are we ever going to not go to the past? Of course. But I think the suffering, like Buddhism always says, the suffering is from the mind. It's not what's happened in our life. It's our mind construct, our mind narrative that we listen to. And we're not even aware we're listening to it. So I hear what you're, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I, I, you're right. I also feel there is a way to nip this in the bud now. And because we moved beyond all this to say, okay, are you saying all this? Or is you, are you listening to your mind and then repeating what your mind construct is saying? Because you, I think, I think us, us, essence of us, has no interest in the past anymore except by selectively choosing right from that can benefit us in the present moment. And the future is of no interest because what the fuck? We want it to be surprising. It's the now expectancy thing that we have control over. Completely agree with you. And and really, so it's taking that I did not get to say goodbye to my mother or, or I wish we had a different relationship, but taking a look at that and say, okay, that was what I was left with. This is These are the consequences because it has a consequence, right? So right now in the present moment, how can I take that shit and make it into glitter, right? How can I use that in relationships that are currently going on where I don't ever leave saying I wish I could have? Hey, so we know there was a lot of information in this last episode. So if you'd like to reach out to us, we're at stripthepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail about what's going on in your life, 201-685-0828.